please join us as we discuss Episode 2 of Bewitched, Be It Ever So Mortgaged. Bewitched, bothered and bewildered, am I? Welcome to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, our podcast about magical shows of the 1960s. I'm Molly. I'm Frank. We are going to be examining the second episode of season one of Bewitched. Be it ever so mortgaged. And before we get started unpacking this episode, we've got a short synopsis for you. Despite it being a stretch on their finances, Darren finds a house to purchase which irks Andorra, who doesn't understand why Samantha would agree to such earthly confines. Samantha and Andorra go to 1164 Morning Glory Circle and have a lot of fun rearranging the undecorated and unlandscaped property using magic. Their witchcraft causes a bit of a stir with Samantha and Darren's potential neighbor, the busybody Gladys Kravitz, who sees furnishings and shrubbery suddenly appearing and then vanishing before her very eyes. Andorra chooses to bow out before Darren's return, postponing their inevitable meeting. Darren mistakes Snoopy Gladys Kravitz for Samantha's mother and kisses her, driving the already hysterical neighbor into a fit. Abner Kravitz is convinced that his wife is losing her mind. Coolio. (laughs) You're going to have to take out a lot of sniffing from me. Oh, that's, oh, you know, sniffing. You know, we can make a quick mention that you have a cold this episode, so it's perfectly forgivable. I guess it's forgivable, but (laughs) sniffing? Really? I can certainly try to edit it out. It's another Trumpian thing. Isn't he a sniffer? (laughs) (laughs) I just have the episode playing in the background here, and there's already parts I forgot. They start out with the uh, Samantha making breakfast scene. Here you see the average, normal suburban housewife in one of her daily routine tasks, preparing breakfast for her husband. She's trying to make breakfast, and there's that voiceover. (laughs) Uh, By Jose Ferrer, yeah. With a modern kitchen and all conveniences at her disposal, the capable housewife moves efficiently through her tasks. Samantha's burning everything, the orange juice onto the floor, the frying pan's burning, she burned the toast, and she knocks over the milk. Of course, sometimes there are problems. Especially if your husband expects breakfast ready before he goes to work. But that's no problem for the average, normal suburban housewife. If... She happens to be a witch. And then, of course, she saves herself with magic, because that's what she does. Hi, honey. But doesn't that look good? (laughs) Typical American housewife. After the animation and the music, they're sitting in the kitchen, and and Dora is reading Harpy's Bazaar. I love that. It's uh, a riff on Harper's Bazaar. Yep. So she's paging through Harpy's Bazaar, and then she decorates the cake for Samantha with a gazebo and four columns. I wondered if those were edible. Is that just like plastic <laughs> it pieces? It looks like fondant, which is edible, though sort of the consistency of plasticine. Yeah. I was always really fond of chalky, flavorless candy, so I think that I would probably enjoy it. But most people turn their noses up to fondant. 
Well, Samantha keeps trying to decorate the cake, but she eventually fixes that too and puts her own little spin on it. I like her decor much better than Endora's. Yeah, it's gaudy and unattractive. Yeah. This episode begins with Samantha baking a cake and, of course, Endora laying into Sam that she is doing everything wrong by doing this menial housework when life could be made so much easier with magic. What a ridiculous waste of time and energy. I prefer to think of it as doing something that will please my husband. Well, you needn't develop biceps doing it. Darren comes home, and then Endora appears and disappears, draped over the banister of the staircase and on top of furniture, kind of like a Cheshire cat. Yes. Observing the two of them, and obviously being very critical of Darren. Yep, nose to the grindstone. I know what they look like. Oh, yes. They all look the same to her. (laughs) Yes, they all look the same to me. The the worst thing that you could say in a mixed marriage is they all look the same to me. (laughs) (laughs) Nose to the grindstone, shoulder to the wheel. It's no wonder they can't fly. I always look at the decor in the house and it's a funny mix of like mid-century interesting stuff and some really crappy, ugly stuff. But there's like this wallpaper that looks like it's um, like, you remember when you used to make prints with, you'd cut a potato in half and cut a little shape into the print, into the potato and then dip it in ink? Absolutely. Yeah, so that's kind of what the wallpaper behind the stove looks like, which is really weird. And to be clear, this is Darren and Samantha's rented home that they're living in as newlyweds. So it is the stodgiest of the places that they live in. Their home is, once they get it in this episode, is pleasantly domestic, but this place seems kind of uptight. Yeah, I didn't like this place as much. Everybody has the Formica countertops, though. Of course. Lime green. Lime green. (laughs) A big theme of this episode is home ownership, which is certainly the American dream. And Darren does it really right by choosing a house they can barely afford and telling Samantha that they'll really need to tighten their belts. And that makes Samantha nervously echo all of Endora's statements from earlier, which are shoulder to the wheel, nose to the grindstone. Very mortal, grubby concerns. Well, you know, the whole thing about buying the biggest house you can afford. Or not afford. Or not afford. That used to be a pretty good idea. And then in the housing crash recently, that became a really bad idea. But that's how everybody got ahead in those days. Yeah, it's a real aspirational move that they're making. Well, he's one of the best ad men in New York. (laughs) But even he, on his salary, can't afford it. It's worrisome to me to see Samantha so taken aback by his insistence that they have to do this. When he's talking to her about it, she looks scared or definitely uncertain. And he really railroads her into sharing his opinion, or if not sharing his opinion into agreeing with him, which he seems to really need. I feel like I'm kind of with Endora who finds his dreams and aspirations so small and claustrophobic. Between Darren and Samantha, it seems really important that she always agree and be super supportive of his ideas. That's a big part of her charm to him, I think. She's very game and good-natured, but what becomes clear as this episode goes on is she doesn't really understand mortal existence or what Darren's motivations are. She's just generally very agreeable. 
when they're sitting down and he's telling her about having to tighten their belts or whatever. Yes. And and Dora does a mime in the background where she pushes on her nose and she's like nose to the grindstone. <laughs> she turns the grindstone, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> well. <laughs> but uh, Samantha is, you know, obviously looking over at Dora, making the comments. It's kind of funny. Well, it, it's worth saying that Samantha does agree to whatever Darren wants to do. Don't you like the idea, honey? Of course I like the idea. It sounds wonderful. For a minute there, I Anything think... that makes you happy makes me happy. Can you imagine saying that? Oh, my God, no. Never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a terrible thing to say. And then Darren uh, responds the worst way possible by saying, I'm about to make you the happiest woman in the world. Get my dinner. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Get my dinner. <laughs> Because anything that makes him happy makes her happy. Yeah, it's clear she has no idea what she's agreeing to. So wardrobe-wise, we get to see another nightgown. We should always take a moment to talk a little bit about Samantha's outfits for the episode, which we are now photo-capturing on our blog. So feel free to examine those. But do you want to speak a little bit about Samantha's outfits in this episode? Yeah. The first outfit, she's wearing a shirt and an apron. The second outfit is just sort of a plain blue dress. But then what I really love are these nightgowns. So the next scene is in the morning with Darren leaving for work and telling her to go see the house. Mm -hmm. You can tell that underneath the robe, there's more of a tank top-ish nightgown, but she's got like a short sleeve Peter Pan collar, pink and white with eyelet lace house coat on. (laughs) which is really pretty, really period. There are mysteries underneath that house coat (laughs) that will remain a mystery to me. Yes, well, that's probably true, yeah. And Dora's thing is kind of like a nightgown. Her witchy outfit. They try to make her look more witchy by complementary colors. She's got bright red hair, she's got a lavender underdress, and then a lime green overdress. I did tell you that I found that place on eBay where they will hand construct you a a custom version of that outfit. Oh my gosh. I think that we should get it for you and then I should dress up as Darren and we should do a photo shoot for our photograph for the podcast. Absolutely. We can do that. I've got like a pipe (laughs) and you could be like tormenting me. I love when Endora gets into her street clothes. So the like the next scene has Samantha wearing a, a smart blue suit with a scarf and Endora has sort of a caftan arrangement, but it's like a camel wool over a black turtleneck. And then she's got a diamond brooch on it. But she always tones it down for making an appearance in the mortal world. Well, and it seems like it's clearly her own hair. Yeah, and then she still wears her blue eyeshadow from, you know, lash line to eyebrow. <laughs> it's kind of a chic New York. I bet it was, you know, kind of what was on the cover of Vogue or something that she's got on. It's got a, a tied belt. Didn't Elizabeth Taylor, like, immortalize that kind of eyeshadow? It's very Cleopatra. Yep, very Cleopatra. Yeah, that makes sense. Though Samantha doesn't do anything quite as dramatic. No, Samantha always has a dewy, fresh-faced look. Although she does do quite a bit of lashes and mascara. Mm -hmm. But she's always got kind of a a subtle, not a lot of color, just enhancing her natural, dewy, fresh-faced look. Any other outfits that you wanted to talk about? 
it's not an outfit, but how do you like when Endora has to put on her carpet slippers? Her carpet slippers, as she refers <laughs> to them as well. It's one of the reasons that she ducks out of meeting with Darren. She doesn't want to be caught in her carpet slippers. Yeah. Though, of course, she could just blink them off as easily as she blinked them on. Oh, now that must be Darren. Now, don't go if you absolutely don't have to. Maybe the two of you should meet right here and now. Here? Now, give me carpet slippers. <laughs> you must be kidding. Not in my carpet slippers. Not in me carpet slippers. <laughs> <laughs> and they have like little turned up toes. Like it's funny because a lot of the things that were magical were Middle Eastern. Yes. That's sort of an interesting theme. It made me start thinking a little bit about Genie, though this is obviously one year ahead of Genie, which really takes all the Middle Eastern cliches to the basest levels of offensiveness. But here, it's a, it's a small touch. Yeah, just a little exotic Eastern touch. So those are the only outfit things. I mean, Gladys Kravitz, I suppose we could talk about her, but um. she's just meant to be a very stereotypic middle-aged housewife. And a little bit of a garbage person. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we talk a little bit about Gladys Kravitz? Yes, I think we should. So Gladys has probably a pretty checkered past. We're going to have to talk about her medicine, of course. Oh my goodness, yes. She is a nosy, busybody and the one thing that probably nobody mentions is that she is absolutely correct. Yeah, she's always right about everything. Absolutely. She's a Cassandra. She has it <laughs> dead to rights, but no one will ever believe her. Take a spoonful of your medicine. I don't need my medicine. I say you do, and I never lied to you, Gladys. Come on, Abner. The medicine that she has to go get when Abner is most disturbed by the things that she's trying to get him to go look at in the window, you know, it already exists in the cupboard. It's like, well, what was that for? That was before Samantha even came that she had medicine in the cupboard. <laughs> There's clearly a history of him making her guzzle this uh, tonic. <laughs> yeah, some sort of giant bottle of fluid. Which I don't is, know what it is. Well, it looks like something they purchased from like a traveling carny. <laughs> Or like, uh, like P.T. Barnum sold it to them. Yes. Or the wizard from The Wizard of Oz. What is the state of pharmacology for mental illness at this point? You know, it's pretty primitive, but this would be just after the in invention of antipsychotics and lithium. Mm -hmm. So psychotropic medications that actually did something have just barely come on the scene here. Whatever she's drinking... It's probably mostly alcohol. I would think. Abner himself takes a swig of it at some juncture, possibly in several episodes after he makes Gladys force it down. I, I feel like the entire thing is really meant to pacify her by inebriating her. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, a lot of medicine still, people would argue, works kind of that way. <laughs> Just inebriating people. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's true, that, that it's just meant to kind of pacify her. I feel badly for having called Gladys a garbage person, but she is kind of a dirtbag. <laughs> Walking across her own living room with a big sandwich in her hand and then eating it at the window while watching the neighbors. It's like her only entertainment is <laughs> what's happening outside the window because her husband ignores her and she doesn't... I mean, she's involved in a lot of community affairs. We find that out later. She's part of the neighborhood establishment. But it's clear that even they disrespect her. 
completely. Oh, yeah, definitely. They only push the, the worst duties on her that nobody wants to do. They take votes without her. She's clearly heavily disliked by everyone, including Abner, her husband, who is too engaged in his crossword puzzle to really entertain her hysterics. His crossword puzzle and his putting. Yes. He does a lot of little things, stuff that you pictured a retired guy doing, and he couldn't care less about anything she has to say. Abner! What? Abner, come here! Gladys, I worked like a dog for 32 years. Abner, the house across the street has got a lawn, and Abner, there are trees and flowers. So what do you want from me? And honestly, the only times where I ever see him, like, perk up is when they talk about death. And not really his death, but her death. It's something that really pleases him. (laughs) What, there's a chance you'll go away forever, Gladys? Oh, oh. Well, the other time he perks up is when he sees Samantha. Yes, he does appreciate her beauty. At the end of this episode... Darren kisses Gladys, yes. Because he thinks that she's in Dora. Correct. She says, there he is. That's the guy who kissed me. And he says, why would he kiss you? He's got her. It doesn't make sense, Gladys. (laughs) There's something about Abner that's very Borscht Belt, Catskills comedian. Oh, for sure. I don't really get the impression that Gladys is from particularly anywhere, but there's something very vaudevillian about Abner. She may be the straight man to his classic stage comedian. No, that makes a lot of sense. He does fit that stereotype exactly. He says a lot of straight, flat delivery of funny, jokey lines that are, take my wife, please. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, can we go back to something really quickly on the pharmacology of 1964? Yeah. Was Halcyon on the scene already? Well, Haldol was developed at that time, and Haldol's not nearly so romantic a drug. If you hear voices and see visions, it makes that go away. And it's still around, and it still works for that sort of thing. It has terrible side effects, so... Of course, it's not like any sort of drug that someone would take for pleasure. What are the side effects, if I can ask? It makes you feel stiff and sedated. Halcyon is triazolam, which is a benzodiazepine much like Xanax, lorazepam, Ativan, any of those. Those are very similar to taking a drink. Very similar. But Haldol, the side effects of Haldol are muscle stiffness, It decreases the amount of dopamine in your brain, and dopamine very generally is associated with pleasure. So it just tends to make people feel like amotivational and crummy, and it brings on symptoms that are a lot like Parkinson's disease. So those are the side effects. But if somebody believes that there are ghosts telling them they should push people down, you give it to them because then they stop hearing the ghosts telling them to push people down. You know, so you got to pick your troubles but neither answer is fun for the poor person suffering the the symptoms while more conventional medicines were probably available at the time it is probably a bit of a shorthand that gladys is drinking some tincture that they bought from like some door-to-door salesman he's giving her spoonfuls of it (laughs) like it's cough medicine yeah and if she takes a spoonful and just she still sounds crazy then he wants her to take another spoonful Because, of course, it works immediately, (laughs) whatever it's supposed to do. Well, that's what what medicine is, right? (laughs) You just just pour it on. You just (laughs) guzzling it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, my goodness. 
I was wondering if we could devote a little bit of headspace to the tone and voice of Bewitched, because the thing with Abner really makes me think about, he has such a clear voice. There are a bunch of shows, you know, I grew up watching a lot of TV, where the voice of the author is so astonishingly clear that no matter how young the cast members are of the show, no matter how youthfully skewed the the show itself was, it was clear that the writers were middle-aged Jewish men. Would you say that the only thing that comes to mind to me is every Woody Allen movie that doesn't have Woody Allen as the lead? That's a great, that's actually a great example. In television, I, I kind of felt like that was a, sort of a frequent conceit, but this episode was written by Barbara Avedon. Really? She was famously the co-creator of Cagney and Lacey. She wrote several episodes for Bewitched. There were about 250 episodes of Bewitched, and 50 of those episodes were written by female writers. Wow. It probably felt like a drop in the bucket considering that there were 250, but I feel like it has an impact. I think we're very lucky. All young married people dream of owning their own home. And it's fine for them, Samantha, but not for us. We're Quicksilver, a fleeting shadow, a distant sound. Our home has no boundaries beyond which we cannot pass. We live in music, in a flash of color. We live on the wind, in the sparkle of a star. And you want to trade it all for a quarter of an acre of crabgrass. It probably had an impact on the actors. I felt like it probably had an impact on Elizabeth Montgomery getting settled into the role and having a female writer behind the scenes helping with this. To me, it also stands in sharp contrast, and I'm kind of jumping a little bit ahead, to five episodes of I Dream of Jeannie that were written by women out of hundreds of episodes. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense to me because Jeannie... That's not a woman's idea of a woman. No, when I watched Bewitched, I always felt like she was so empowering, kind of. She always had the secret power. Jeannie, her power was just, she was such a dope. I tend to think of her more and more now that I'm beginning to watch those episodes as Pepe Le Pew. Oh, yeah. She, she is like that Warner Brothers skunk that rapaciously pursues the alley cat that has some white paint on it and is just annoyingly clawing desperately at this person uh, who is Larry Hagman, uh, who keeps pushing her away, though mm-hmm. he doesn't really have a really good reason for it. A lot of that show makes no sense. It, it is definitely a male fantasy written largely by men. And it makes sense to me that there would be more female writers on Bewitched, just tonally. Of course, there were no female directors for either show. Who wrote the episode, It Shouldn't Happen to a Dog? There's a lot of gender politics in that one. It was actually written by Jerry Davis and Saul Sachs, who was the frontrunner. I feel they nailed the asshole douchebag male character in that really well. They sure did. (laughs) So they did capture that voice clearly. Uh, Yuck. We don't need to go back to that episode. In fact, it's not back. It would be forward, which completely confuses everything. So you have to cut all of this out. Well, I I, I, I will. I will. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you think overall of this episode? This feels like a transitional episode that is simply getting us where we need to go. Introducing the Kravitzes, introducing the house, 
it doesn't feel like a lot gets accomplished. It's really meant to just have that final scene where they have just purchased the house. Oh, you have skipped an outfit. Oh. Samantha wears a terrible coat in the oh. final scene. The giant pink coat. Oh, my God. With, it's got, like, the, the biggest p- cancer ribbon you've ever seen. Pussy bow. <laughs> it's a, a pussy bow. <laughs> haven't you Haven't you heard that lately? No. There's there this whole thing about Melania Trump after Trump's pussy-grabbing, you know, whole episode. She was at a, a major function. I forget what it was, a, some convention or whatever, and um, she came out wearing a $3,000 Chanel blouse that was what is called a pussy bow, which is a big bow, giant oversized bow tied at the neck. Okay, so wait, this so the name of the bow was not prompted by any of the president-elect's pussy grabbing? Well, no, the blouse already had that name as a pussy bow, so some people surmising that Melania is an evil genius who just wants to give her husband <laughs> a little thump on the head wore the pussy bow just to say... F you, Donald, don't do that to me again. Oh, God. Isn't that funny? It is crazy. <laughs> I don't think Melania is really that smart. No, not, neither do I. I think, I think that's people reading into a situation. It's a bunch of liberal intellectuals trying to make <laughs> Melania more interesting than she is. Oh, God. Which she is not. The only thing that Samantha's coat at the end of this episode with a gig- ridiculous gigantic ribbon on it evoked was... John Bonet Ramsey. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like a hideous version of a little girl's coat that yeah. only a demented pageant child would be wearing. Baby June from Gypsy would be wearing something like that. It's too cloyingly cute. So when she's wearing that coat, that's when there's the incident where Gladys says, There he is. That's the man who kissed me. <laughs> there he is, Abner. That's the one who kissed me. Don't make any sense, Gladys. He's got her. Why would he want to kiss you? (laughs) And he's looking at Samantha in her giant pink coat, right? With her big pussy bow, yes. That big pussy bow on, yep. (laughs) I don't want to say that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah, you should look that up. No, I'm I'm afraid what the Google search will yield if someone puts in a pussy bow. Just just type Melania pussy bow and it will just come up with her blouse. I guess. Shall we do our signature piece of Can We Forgive Darren? Oh, sure. So what did he do in this episode? He picked out a house without shopping with Samantha. He pressed her into agreeing with him into taking it. And it's so unfair. She doesn't... It's kind of like when my dog Chowder shakes my hand. He doesn't know what he's agreeing to. I, I, lo- I love Samantha to pieces, but she's kind of the same in her dealings with Darren. Yeah. Well, now, Mother, if Darren's this excited about it, there must be something to it. Now, I'm going to take a look at that house. The least you can do is keep an open mind and go with me. She doesn't really understand what she's agreeing to. And, yeah, possibly feeding Darren strawberry frosted cake for breakfast is an extension of that lack of understanding of mortal customs or mortal life. Yeah. When she says to him very genuinely, anything that makes you happy makes me happy. And then he says to her smiling, I'm about to make you the happiest woman in the world. Get my dinner. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so bad. They at least give her a moment where she is really annoyed by it. 
Endora is laughing at the fact that everything that she has predicted about Darren is coming true, that he's actually aping the words that she had said earlier. Darren accidentally hears Endora laughing, and Samantha has to cover it up really quickly and says, oh, that was just me laughing. I was laughing at that little joke that you made about your dinner, and then gives him a really dirty look. Uh, was that you laughing? Oh, yes. <laughs> that was a very cute joke you made about getting your dinner. <laughs> that was a really cute joke, she said. Like that. It was yes. A really cute joke you made. It's funny. I like the, the expressions and idioms of the day. That digging onions comment just sounds like something that my grandmother would have said. We've got to save that for episode four. I yeah, know. but uh, yeah, no, it's no, but I, I I do love that as well. Episode yeah. four is a really good one, actually. It's pretty good. Yeah, I yeah. like it. I like there's Endora has a lot of good shots in there, but this one, the no, it was kind of a snoozer. I mean, we get to see the house. I I was a little bit underwhelmed even by the decor in the new house and what they thought were fantastic chairs and stuff. It's like, man, there was so much better stuff back then, but. But their closing is, is fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. We didn't say if we could forgive Darren. Oh, did, that's right. It's your turn. I'm going to say that You for this... told me. You <laughs> you laid out all of his crimes. <laughs> yes. So now that we know Darren's crimes, you can say, are you going to forgive him? Are you going to forgive him, Molly? Well, I can't forgive him today, but Darren does a lot worse things later on. Hmm. If this was the worst that he did, it wouldn't be quite as bad. But, man, I don't know. <laughs> and how about you? I continue to find him perfectly unforgivable. <laughs> you're just you're just black and white in your... Th- there's not worse and better. It's just like... I'm sure that he's going to have some episodes coming up where he is going to be a little bit redemptive. I, I don't know, but... That he always manages to squeeze in some little thing that makes me so angry in every episode. Even in an, in as boring and innocuous an episode as this one is, the buying of their house, uh, he has to say something. Ugh. Something about dinner. Oh, yeah, Darren. So, wardrobe, we did... Can we forgive Darren? We talked about Barbara Avedon writing this episode. Oh, yes, that there's a woman writer. And now we proclaim that it was a boring, boring episode. <laughs> so we brought up the woman to elevator and then we just slammed her down. <laughs> so hopefully Barbara gets a better episode in later on. I, I'm sure we'll watch does. for. Her. Yeah, we'll watch for. Her. Uh and then the medicine. We talked about the medicine. I think that's right? an that's an interesting topic. It's an interesting. You could have like, a drinking uh, game where every time Gladys takes her medicine, you got to take a <laughs> shot. That may be challenging on the episodes that are Gladys heavy because they do trot out that tonic a lot. There's some episodes where she's not even on, so this, she's this, not always there. This is true. I think I hear the music. I guess that means it's time for us to sign off. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. 
And we look forward to you joining us on future installments where we'll continue to follow season one of Bewitched. Please be sure to listen to the other great shows on the Pie Wacket Podcast Network. If you enjoy horror movies, then you can listen to The Brothers Grimmer, where my brother Bert and I examine recent horror movie releases. If you have questions about your pets, listen to A Breed Apart with Dr. Kate and Steven. Well, until next time. Until next time. Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arning. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it. <laughs>